Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. How do you win this crowd over? Very quickly, because nothing's worse than awkwardness. And I started to learn how do people's minds work? When you walk up to them, what are they thinking? First three thoughts, who is this person? What do they want from me? And do they want my money? Those three questions, if you can answer them in less than 10 seconds, you want to change the dynamics, shift the dynamics from me wanting them to them wanting me. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Hope you're having a great week. I'm looking forward to this next episode, part two of two with Oz Perlman. This guy is incredible, has a great story. I hope you had a chance to listen to the first part because the second part is even more inspirational. And before I get started, if you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Twitter or Instagram or on my website at BarryKatz.com. And I'd be remiss if I didn't thank you all so much for all your support. You guys are truly incredible and I am so grateful for all of you. Without you, this show wouldn't be going on. So thank you so much. And when I think of Ois Perlman, I think of a guy who is just multi-talented and somebody who knew what he wanted to do early on, as fate would have it, to be able to see something at a young age when he went to see a magician, and to know in that fateful moment that that's what he wanted to do. And I'm aware that in the entertainment business, a lot of people don't really rally around magicians. A lot of people don't really find that kind of entertainment as meaningful to them as music or comedy or the arts but i assure you there's a skill set involved in this kind of art form that is truly truly incredible and i was exposed to it as a young age because my uncle was the number one expert on houdini in the world and owned the water torture case and 90 percent of all of houdini's tricks so i understood the commitment and the level of hours that it took to make something happen. Unlike your peers who may or may not give as much effort, true to form in 
magic as it is in almost every other profession. The more hours you spend practicing, the better you are. And But always wasn't really interested in traditional magic. Always figured out a way to create a type of act that very few people do. An act that only one person who I know of in my lifetime became a household name at, and that was the amazing Kreskin in the 70s. So I feel like not only is he doing something that is unique and special within his lane, he's trying to create a situation where it's different, it's unique, it's a completely unique point of view that isn't put forth by other magicians. It's also an act that can travel with him easily instead of trunks and trucks. But not only that, he's a guy who, in his spare time, puts what appears to be the same amount of hours, if not more, into becoming a great marathon runner. Not just a serviceable marathon runner, not just a good marathon runner, but somebody who is literally 15 seconds off the time of the winner of the Boston Marathon this week. It's truly incredible. And then to figure out a way to become the best father and best husband you can possibly be and to be everything to your friends and business associates, it's a massive undertaking. It's an incredibly full life to be able to be successful at not only your professional passion, your personal passion, and your family life. And it's no wonder that he's so successful. It's no wonder that he's one of the few people in the history of his craft that has broken through with this lane of magic. And it will be no wonder if you can figure out how to accomplish all this in your career. I can guarantee you you'll have the kind of successful journey that O's Perlman has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Let's go way, way back to where you grew up and what was the economic situation there and what was your first inspiration to getting into this crazy business? So it's funny because I've seen so many parallels with other magicians and people that I know like this. So I was born in Israel. I moved to the States when I was three. And then I'm going to say relatively humble. Like I would have called this lower middle class. And my folks got divorced when I was 13. And that was huge shock, not a clean divorce, very messy divorce, no real father figure for a couple of years, really messy. And that's exactly when I got into magic, which I think was a path because you don't know what to do. You when know? you say that's exactly, you said they divorced when you were how old? When I was 13. The divorce oh, happened around the exact same time that I got into magic. So if that tragedy hadn't happened- 100% I wouldn't, wouldn't be as into it. I don't think so. How did you find magic? So I saw, we went on a cruise ship I'd never been Who's on a cruise we? before. Oh, me, my immediate family, my mom, dad, right before they got divorced. Oh, okay. And my sisters and my grandma came from Israel and we went on a cruise to Bermuda for like four days. 
and there was a magician on the cruise ship. I went up on stage. Guy did something for me. Blown away. Blown away. Started following him around the cruise ship. Like I looked for this guy everywhere. And I got home. There was borders. There was, you know, the borders back in the day. I went to the library. I checked out every book on magic. I read it cover to cover. I went to borders. Any money I had from the bar mitzvah, I started spending money, buying tricks, learning, obsessed. Just eight, 10 hours a day. Maybe more than that, to be honest. If I got home from school, I was a very good student. So this is a weird side reference, but I was literally a math genius. I got a perfect SAT when I was 12. I was very good at math. I did calculus when I was 12. In my freshman year, I finished all of calculus. And then I went to university, like college classes for differential equations. And it's not even that I liked math. I was just good at it. It just came naturally. It's like when you watch Good Will Hunting, I just, I have a mathematical mind. It was very easy for me. I honestly didn't even like it that much. Other subjects, not as strong, but I was doing that kind of lucky for me that I could do that and still get away with doing well in school because my whole focus was magic. And at about 14, a year later, my mom's like, I'm not spending any more money on this. You have to go make money. Very entrepreneurial. So I walked over. There was a restaurant that was about half a mile from my house. I walked there. Didn't know a sales pitch. Don't know how I was so good at it from the start, but I had balls of steel. I go up to the manager. I do some tricks for them. I say, I'm going to come here tonight and do some tricks. And they're like, okay, let's do it. They couldn't believe this like shrimpy little 14 year old. Didn't even know what to charge. I made up a number on the spot. I'm like, uh, give me 50 bucks for two hours. Might as well have been a million dollars. And I just started learning. The way I learned the school of hard knocks for me was restaurants. I started working at all different restaurants and restaurants are the greatest way because nobody wants you. Like if you're eating a meal and you got some kid coming up to you, it's the ultimate learning human psychology and social dynamics. How do you win this crowd over very quickly? Because nothing's worse than awkwardness. And I started to learn how do people's minds work? When you walk up to them, what are they thinking? First three thoughts. Who is this person? What do they want from me? And do they want my money? Those three questions, if you can answer them in less than 10 seconds, you want to change the dynamics, shift the dynamics from me wanting them to them wanting me. I want to get to the stage where I want to walk away and they don't want me to go away. It's very interesting because the book, The Game, do you know the book, The Game? I actually did the deal for mystery. Oh, mystery? For yeah, that show, The Pickup Artist. No way. So that book created terminology and that's the laws of attraction and seduction, but you can take them away from sexual encounters and create them for any encounters in life. Honestly, it's sales 101. In their case, you're selling seduction. But everything, when I read that book, it was like, forget Naha moment. I'm like, they just created terms for everything I do in my life because the dynamics of how you engage a crowd and how you win them over in short order and how you keep them wanting you and leaving them wanting more. All of that stuff, I, by the time I was 15, had intuitively and instinctually understood. And that's how I started improving. And that was it. And then in college, I was doing this as my side hustle because my folks, actually, my mom wasn't supporting me. And my mom moved to Israel. My dad stayed there. You don't want my whole sob story, but I had to pay for college myself. When the bill came due from University of Michigan, I'm the one writing the check. Why University of Michigan? I was in state. It was a great school. I applied to Stanford and Penn. Stanford didn't take me, which I still to this day am a little How hurt by. How could they not take you if you're a genius in math? I, don't, I wasn't that great at English. I don't know what to tell you. And then... Pen was waitlisted. And then I looked at the differences in the money and one's at the time 37 grand and one is 10 grand. And I'm like, I'll go to Ann Arbor. And honestly, everybody I knew was going there. It was great school, top 20. I'm so happy I went to Michigan. I so you start it. performing at school, but when do you make the transfer to mentalism from regular magic? And is it a thing where you start doing a few mentalism things within the magic or yes. you just oh, get yeah. rid of it's it? It's a crutch. So it's kind of like a prop comic. So this has a relationship to what we talked about. What's that? 
The crutch. The crutch. And that you start putting it together. So you keep doing what you're doing, but then you do a few dates here and there. Yep. You slowly feed it into the act. Barry, so you're going to work me over. This is like we're having an Oprah moment here. I'm going to leave here. Barry's going to get a tour together. I love it. Listen, we'll get my wife involved. I'm on board. So I started doing the mentalism for two reasons because I hated mentalism. I liked moves. I like sitting in front of a mirror and practicing. I like the feel of cards in my hand. There was a summer where I learned a rope trick. I spent three months in front of a mirror for six hours a day learning how to do a rope trick. Do you know how many times I've done that rope trick professionally, Barry? Twice in my whole life. I spent collectively, God knows, I, you can multiply the hours. I loved every bit about this. I would do it for myself. For months, I would just do it for myself in a mirror because it's so beautiful. Never did it for people because I loved it. People don't like it. It's kind of like a album that you write that nobody else has commercial success. Mentalism is boring. In learning mentalism is not fun. You read the trick and then you got to go do it to people, but there's no moves. Do you understand what I mean? There's no moves. Sleight of hand is exciting because it gives you something to do with your hands. It gives you something to practice. Mentalism has a steep learning curve because you got to go out there and win over a crowd. And so much of it, it's like hypnosis. If somebody doesn't want to be hypnotized, they can't be. You can't hypnotize somebody against their will. So how do you get the person to want to be hypnotized, right? How do you allow somebody to sell themselves? The best salespeople, they're not pushy. You get the person to sell themselves and then you don't care. When somebody doesn't care, that's when they do the best. America's Got Talent, I auditioned before, didn't get on. The time I auditioned and got on, I did not care. When I say I didn't care, Barry, I'm not like kissing butt. I swear to God, when I left, I didn't care at all what would happen. I had no idea what it would do to my life, that it would change my life. So I went in there with the confidence that was through the roof, did it, didn't care. That's when I landed it. And I always hear actors, the same thing in the audition. I'm not getting this, so who cares? And that frees you in a certain way. It gives this aura that if you care, you're tense. If you don't care, if you let go, it's like Zen mode. So how long did it take from the first mentalism piece you put in your act to when there was no regular magic in your show? Right after America's Got Talent. Because America's Got Talent. That long. Yes. So you mixed both for years. For years. But when I went on America's Got Talent, the way to embrace that show, it's a story-driven show. Most reality shows are. It is. It's the story. You want to capture, it's the home team. You go do any of these other shows. You go be on Jimmy Fallon. You could do any of these shows over and over. Good Morning America Today show. You're not invested emotionally. Tell the audience what you mean by the home team. Oh, the home team is, I have people to this day that saw me on America's Got Talent, that they come up to me and it's like if you're a Jets fan, you were an O's Perlman fan on my season. At the start of the show, they built me up. They gave the life story and something in that connected with you. Maybe it's, hey, this guy quit his job and I wanted to quit my job and be an XYZ. Something about my story. Now, some people have heartbreak stories. Some people, there was a woman one year who was a singer who crashed in an airplane. Did you ever see her? She has burns on 90% of her body. She's missing her hands. Parents died. She was a kid. She survived. The one person who survived a plane crash and now has a voice of an angel, right? It's like Susan Boyle, but times a million. That's a story that when you watch, did you're going to cry. Did she win? Oh, I don't want to get this wrong. I don't think she won, but she was finalist. Oh, I don't want to mess up. I'm pretty sure she didn't win, but she was a sensation. She didn't win, but Matt Franco with the red and black card trick. <laughs> I love Matt Franco. Figure, figure that out. I love out. Matt Franco. Matt Franco's a great guy. So uh, He is a great guy. He's great. He's yeah. a great guy. Deserves everything. Wonderful person. But I'm with you. But he closes with the red and black card trick. Come on. Listen, likability is everything and he has great material on his show, but I'm with you. He could sit here and say, I did essentially a store-bought card trick to close America's Got Talent and get my deal. Meanwhile, you're killing yourself trying to figure <laughs> out the <laughs> 
When I went on that show, they wanted to find you. Matt Franco won as a magician. So I can't be a magician the next year. No magician is going to win two years in a row. So at that point, I made the decision, hey, I'm doing 60, 70% mentalism in the show and just take the leap of faith. And that's when I branded myself. It was O's the mentalist because O's Perlman is like, doesn't roll off the tongue. Frankly, my name is a nightmare, but that's a different story. O's because it goes against the grain in so many ways, but it's actually my name. It's not a stage name. In Hebrew, it's O's. So the closest way to say it in English is O's, right? Because you don't have an open O. Versus like Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz, same thing. His name is actually in Turkish. It's Oz. It's like a Mehmet, Mehmet Oz. But he did the right transition because Oz has such deep roots as the Wizard of Oz. I don't like correcting people. If they say my name wrong, I don't care. No problem. And so you do that, America's Got Talent, and then... Then I'm Oz the Mentalist. And you couldn't go back. You never wanted to go back. Once I got into it, I embraced it and I loved it. Now, don't get me wrong. You catch me at a party. I've had a couple of drinks. You want me to bust out some card tricks? I'm very good at card tricks. I can do magic tricks. My kids, all they want me to do is pull coins out of their ears. My five-year-old and three-year-old, get a coin. Hanukkah, show my hands empty, boom, gelt out of both ears. Chocolate coins, they love it. I might not be cool for that much longer, but for now I'm embracing it. I think about my son, Asher, when he was into magic and he would be in front of the mirror just with that over <laughs> and over again with the card thing. It's just like hours. Hours. Because he could see the eye line and he could know where the card was and if it was being shown, it wasn't. And you have to practice, 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 practice. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, and you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my blueprint for success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Okay. Tell me what comes to mind. Bill Clinton. So I've performed for Bill Clinton several times and opened for him. I always just love the look on his face when I do something that blows him away. It's just a very befuddled look. I can visualize it in my mind very clearly. And a lot of things I don't remember vividly, but Bill Clinton, just this look of, I don't know how to explain it. He gets very childlike when he's amazed and he doesn't even know what to say. Judd Apatow. So Judd Apatow, I'll tell you a great story. I was on the Today Show and whenever I'm on these shows, I just have a lot of chutzpah. The only way to describe it, you make your own rules. You have to make your luck in some of these situations where you're in a green room. I'm not going to go ask a producer, can I go here? Can I go there? Now with COVID, it's a little bit annoying because you actually have to, you know, do protocols. But I just start going into people's rooms and I always pretend. I'll say, oh, 
they sent me in here. They told me I have to show you this. And they're like, what? And I always go and amaze people. If you go into a studio like that, everyone who does hair, everyone who does makeup, the security guards, I want to do something amazing for all of them. I want them to remember me because they have a million guests that come in. I don't care how famous you are. This, If you're nice to everyone, it's like what you said, tip the waitresses. If they like you, they talk. They go do another show and they do makeup. I can't tell you how many of the TV spots I've gotten. People are like, how are you getting all this? It ain't a publicist. It's that when I go into a place, I work everyone top to bottom. I don't care if you're craft services, you're going to have a touch point with me where I do something amazing for you in 30 seconds. So with Judd Apatow, he's in the room next to me. I gotta meet Judd Apatow. But when I go in there, I don't need any props, but literally most of my act is I just need a piece of paper and something to write on. Cause when I'm reading people, I can't just say it. I have to like put my thoughts down and say, I think it's this or this and just hold this. There needs to be a little bit of build for the actual trick. I can't just say what comes to mind. I have to craft the thought. So I go into his room and he's just about to go on. I have two minutes. I have to meet him right then. They have my jacket. My jacket has my pen, my this, everything that I have, like my small props is in the jacket. They're steaming. I'm like, shit, what am I going to do? So I literally just grab like anything. I think I grab like a pen, a pencil that they use to color eyebrows and any scrap of paper I could find. Judd, don't go, don't go. I got to do something for you. And I don't know. He, he knew who the hell I was. He didn't know how I was in there. And I did one trick for him. He had no idea how. And I snapped a photo. I go, Judd, don't leave. I want to see you. And I got just the photo I have with him is just him being like, who are you? What did you just do? It was so funny. If I ever met him and said, do you remember the weird guy who met you at the Today Show? He'd be like, yeah, who? But we just had a funny two minutes together. Samuel Jackson. Similar. A Today Show guy. Met him on the Today Show. Really funny guy. Just gave me a stare down. Like a look like, what was that? What's going on here? Told me I think I was a dangerous man. I was a dangerous person to have around. And what a prolific actor. Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq is the biggest human I've ever seen in my life. Towers. I'm not even that tall. I'm average for a Jew, let's say. I like to round myself up to five foot eight. That was my JD profile. Not five, seven-ish. We go up. We round up. You met your wife on JD? I did. And he just, I, like, if he puts his arm around you, forget it. So yeah, I've met Shaq a couple times. He's a sweetheart. That's a person who is uniquely themselves, who I don't think can be pushed around, shoved around, like decided he's going to not stay in any one lane. And I love that because that takes such a confidence to change who you are throughout life. Like I'll be entertained. I'll do this. I'll go for stuff like you're saying and not know where it's going to take you, but I'm going to go for it if I have that passion. Steven Spielberg. So incredible guy. I did a party for Steven's dad when he turned 99. Arnold, amazing man, just incredible person to meet. Such a warm family. And Steven Spielberg has made every movie that you can think of. I just wanted to sit there and pick his brain and I noticed something, and it's something I've noticed about a lot of people that are incredibly successful, is that he will always wanna listen to you more than talk about himself. It was right when we met and we had, I want to say 20 minutes together, which felt like an eternity, just peppered me with questions, peppered me to the point where I wanted to just say, stop, stop. Like I wanted to grab and say, I'm losing my time with you. I don't, this is a very finite thing I have. And I have so many questions I want to ask you, but he was so intrigued by me and I'm not intrigued by me because I know me. I mean, you're Steven Spielberg. And so, you know, 20 minutes lapsed and I maybe got in one minor question at one point and a handshake and maybe a hug. And I was just like, oh. Can we see each other again, Steven? But he's just so naturally curious. And that's why he's done all the things he's done. Don Rickles. So over the years, I don't know how it initially occurred, but I did one of Judge Judy's grandkids bar bat mitzvahs and we hit it off. I just love her. I just adore Judge Judy. She's just such a unique person. She doesn't take any crap from anyone. And once you get to know her, she's very sweet. And I hit it off with her. I don't know what to tell you. Like I did a few other parties within her family. I've been to her home several times. She was celebrating as uh, one of the seasons of her show. She brought me in, her and her husband, Jerry, literally drove me from the hotel with them. 
And she got up and gave the speech and said, I have a special guest. I'm like, who's special guest? She introduced me. I'm shell shocked. None of this was planned. And then everyone at this party is a who's who of Hollywood royalty one generation ago. Does that make sense? Like legendary status. But if you're younger, you wouldn't know who I am. I meet this producer. He made every movie I love. This guy made The Fugitive. Unbelievable. So I, I meet Don Rickles. And this was late in the game. Don was, I think, I think he passed away less than a year later. But that fire, that spark, the people that do the roasting, like Jeff Ross, at their core, they're the sweetest people. They're the opposite. It's like that negativity multiplied by negative one. They're that positive. Don Rickles was like, came up and he did like almost like my grandma would do like a bubble up. He took my cheek. He pinched it. You, not a Bob De Niro thing, but like he was just nothing but warmth and sweetness to me. I did a couple tricks for him and it was this table of just Hollywood royalty. And I was so glad I got to like share a minute with him and he passed away. I think, I think it was a few months later. Howie Mandel. I love Howie. Real mensch. He's on the show, so he's kind of a celebrity in his own right, but he's so giving of others. He so much wants to see others succeed. And I think the reason he stayed on that show, he's the only host who's been on the show the entire life of AGT, is because he's a real entertainer, right? He does gigs, he's hitting those hard tickets, he's selling out stuff, he does corporates too, he can do everything. And he's just a chameleon. He had that show, Bobby's World, he had this. I love Howie. And to this day, Howie's like one of those guys, if I reach out, reaches back out, just a really, and how many people have been on that show that he knows? You know, how many, a million. So he's a real match, really good guy. Yeah, he's the best. Finally, Ellen DeGeneres. So I don't know when this airs, but I met Ellen today for the first time as I walked out on set. I don't want to spoil it because I haven't seen it. I haven't, I lived it. But when you're living it, time goes extra fast because especially what I'm doing, what I'm doing, I you told you. You spoil it because this will, this this will air will. after. So I had um, the finale is going to be a mass power of suggestion. Like I told you, I like to build. Yeah. I'm not going to do one trick ever. I'm going to do a trick. Well, how much time do you have on the Ellen DeGeneres show? So technically I had nine minutes, but broken up into seven minutes and two minutes, Got which it. is like an eternity. So in that seven minutes, I did three building effects, but the finale is something that I did with the whole audience. And with the two minutes at, with the after the two the minutes tag. is almost like the after commercial, like a nice little outro. Is that where you do the, the final thing? I wish. So no, unfortunately that's a second act that's smaller, Got but it. I still did something great, but that wasn't the big. That was, do you understand what I mean? I, I, you're never going to do a big thing and then finish in two minutes. The two minutes was another great thing, mm -hmm. but it wasn't this splashy, huge act. So I did a power of suggestion thing for an entire audience of 210 people that I was able to influence or hypnotize every single person in the audience at the same time. Never been done on Ellen ever. She's had 19 seasons. No one's ever done this. The producers go, we're never going to forget this. It has almost never been done on TV, period. There's one other mentalist who's spectacular, who's a good friend, Lior Suchard, did something not this, it's very different tricks, but similar with, they did something with the whole crowd on James Corden. He's incredible. He's one of, if not my favorite other mentalists in the world, just incredibly creative guy. And uh, just the look on her face when Ellen, the finale, when she saw the audience and she looked down at what she was holding in her hands and just shocked. This is somebody who's been around, who's seen it all. And I saw her face and she was speechless. And it was just like, you know, forget what it looks like on TV, forget everything. I'm gonna have that forever. And I go to her, I go, this is your audience, Ellen. I don't know these people. She goes, I know. Do you understand? It's like when you try to tell somebody something they already know, they're angry almost because she knows this is not humanly possible. Like this is, there's tricks that I do. There's maybe an explanation. This is unexplainable is what I hope. This was a, when you told me, did I know if it would work? No. Did it work? Yes. How many hours of preparation were you trained? Two years. That's, this trick has been in development for two years. This has been in the back of my head. And when I formed it initially, I it's been like a diamond that I've been polishing and I didn't know where I was going to use it. But you can't practice it anywhere in front of the I've wall. never done it. That was the first time I've ever done it. It's like, okay, it's like, so two years, how many hours would you say you worked on it? So 
If you had to guess. Well, again, so when you say worked on it, it's a funny misnomer because all I did is it's like, at least if I said at a typewriter. But it's an idea that you have to execute. You have to storyboard in your mind. Okay, I'm standing on stage here. Okay, they're going to get the audience here. I don't even know how many hours. I've got it. You don't know. Like, I don't know, 30, 40, 50, 60 hours. You ask me what I'm doing when I'm running? I'm listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz and I'm trying to figure out how the hell I'm going to pull this off because I start with an idea. I have an ending. I have a finale to a movie. I have the sixth sense. I see dead people, but now I need a movie before it. So I start with what I want the image to be, the finale. I have the memory that I want people to talk about and then I need to create the rest. So the creating the rest is what took the two years of putting this together and then I've got a round peg, but they give me a slightly square hole, which is how much time do I have? You can use Ellen, but you can't use this person. So now I have to make it fit for this exact thing. So now I have to tweak it. So yeah, I've been waiting on it. Now, if I get another chance, I need to go bigger and better. I love that challenge. If you tell me, hey, we're gonna bring you back on, do something even better, that's when my juices fire up. That's when I get excited, because now it's like, I gotta do something even better. Well, you will, and you will go back on. Your proudest moment in show business. It's a cliche answer, but the finale of America's Got Talent, it was probably the most stressful moment ever because the way that show is orchestrated is the highs and lows are so close together, which is not the usual in life. Like let's say you win a Super Bowl. I'm pretty sure you coast on that for a while, right? You got until the next season. You've got time to hopefully take it in. Do you know what I mean? On America's Got Talent, you on a Tuesday night do a show live and nothing like live TV where everything counts. You're blocking. When I move from here to there, I'm on a clock. If that clock runs out, I'm done. And in my show, it's like a danger act. If I run out of time, I can't undo that. Like you said to me, what happens if something goes wrong? If something goes wrong, I have a plan B and a plan C and a plan D. But the problem is getting to plan C and D takes time and I don't have time in a live show. So when you're doing that, if you make it through the Wednesday, they tally the votes. They tell you, you made it through. You're on a big stage. They move you forward, watch forward. You're going to go, you're in. The endorphins, the adrenaline, you are on the high, like like a drug. So start it off for us. So you do America's Got Talent. You do the preliminary thing where you're yeah. doing it for the judges. Then they say, we're moving you forward yeah, to the live show. Yes. Then you do your first live show. And now after that show, how many are left? I don't know, like 12. Then you do the next show, how many are left? It's changed, but it went from 20 to 10. So the third performance you do, you're down to 10. Fifth. No, because you said you went on for the judges without any audience. Then they bring you to the live. No, show. there's two cuts before you make it to the live shows. But does the audience on TV see the two cuts? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you did two of those, then the live show, that's three. Three of them. So it's five total. Three live shows. Yeah, three live shows. So it used to go, it change it whenever they want, but they used to have an audition. They called it judge cuts. Then they have quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. So the fifth time you're on, you're in the finals with five people. Right, but the week before... Because depending on how your semifinals stack, there's two semifinals, then there's finals. So if you have a semifinal the week before, you on Wednesday night find out you're in the finals. Now, I was of the mindset I never planned ahead. I did not know what I was going to do in the next round because the football analogy I use is if you're too worried, everybody I know who's done the show since I've advised with, there, I got this trick, I got this. No, 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 no. Focus on this week. You're like a wide receiver who's thinking while they're about to catch the ball, they're going to run to the end zone. You know what they do? They about it not who were the other four x so the guy who got second was drew lynch so he was a stuttering comedian the guy who won was paul zerdin he's a ventriloquist very talented ventriloquist there was stevie 
Stevie was the regurgitator. Okay. There's a guy named Benton Blunt, guy. who I was buddies with. Benton's a great country singer. Piff the Magic Dragon. Uh-huh. was amazing. There's a few more, but those are some of the people. And I'm... Piff won, didn't he? No. Piff wasn't even top five. And you know what's interesting? But Piff's a huge act. Hard ticket sales. Hard ticket strong in Vegas. Absolutely. Piff's a one of a kind. You're one of a kind. I'm not a dragon. That might be arguable, but I like to think I am. You're one of a kind. Why does one guy sell hard tickets? And the other guy decides to do it a different way. Different strokes. Who's going to, at the end of the day, be able to do a million different things? And who, at the end of the day, is going to be a dragon for the rest of their life? Okay? Your biggest disappointment and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. Not selling hard tickets after this podcast. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> And I'm going to use it to fuel myself right now. We're going to get a tour going. We're going to have to do something. You know what? I think that it's, you hit the nail on the head, which is, it sounds crazy, but I actually consider myself a lazy person, which I'm saying that as genuinely as I can. People are like, well, you just went and ran 20 miles. That's lazy. You know why? Because I like running. What would be not lazy is if I started doing the workouts my wife does, where she's like, come do this thing, where you do circuit training. And I don't want to do that. Running to me is comfortable. I know it doesn't sound logical, but it's fun. I like it. I'm good at it. So stepping out of my comfort zone, which is what you're just saying, which is you're telling me I'm one of a kind and I'm going to sell hard tickets. I have this belief that whenever somebody shows up to a show like that and buys tickets, I'm in shock. I'm like, I can't believe these people bought tickets to see me. Truly, not even a humble. Like, I just can't believe that you're going to get up from your house to come see this type of show. And I don't really believe in it as a medium. At the core, if you want to really dissect this, I'm shocked that this is what I do for a living. To this day, it's still crazy to me because I consider myself a salesperson, a businessman who just happened to find this business and this is what I end up selling. I sell this product. My product happens to be me as a mind reader. If I were to leave this profession, I truly believe that if you gave me something else that I had as much passion about, I could sell it just as well. The mentalism is secondary. I'm a hell of a salesperson. I'm just selling this. Does does that make sense? Yes. So you're a hell of a salesperson. Sell some hard tickets. You're going to do really well. Right. I found something that's comfortable, that works. And so, but you're right. You're not going to lead to these other opportunities. When I see some of these things, I think in a much more transactional way, I've seen what works and is consistent versus you have to take a leap of faith. I look at the Kevin Hart school of thought. Kevin Hart had to take a leap of faith and do all these other things to eventually get to where he got to. And for a lot of people, the ambition must be through the roof. You must have a tremendous amount of ambition to say, I'm going to not do this, which gets me to this level, which is still very high in hopes of trying to go to this level, right? That's what you're in essence saying. You're leasing and taking a risk. I'm going to take a risk to get to an even higher level, but it might be a slower burn, but when it gets there, it's going to shoot hockey stick versus consistency. Yeah. I mean, you're going to do really, really well. I don't see how you can't do well. And even if you don't do well, what's the worst that happens? You break even. This is the thing that kills me when I think of you. You spend 14 to 15 hours a week doing something for free. What's that? Jogging. Well, I like it doing it. I would hate if it was my living. No, but you're doing it for nothing. So why isn't it possible to do anything for nothing or to make nothing from it? Why is it bad if you work 15 hours a week on these hard ticket things and let's say you made nothing? You're making the same amount of money you make from jogging. But zero sum game here is that I wouldn't want to give one thing up for the other. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I'm so lucky. I have like a great life in that sense. You have an amazing life, but you got through a pandemic and made more money than you did probably before the pandemic. 
very lucky I embraced the virtuals early. Lucky. Yeah, there's some, I don't know luck to everything, but yeah. No, it's your possibility. When the pandemic happened, a lot of people just are gone. Right. They went home, but you saw the possibility. You're a visionary. And that's what I love about you. <laughs> Thanks. Anyway, last question. Let's do this. You ready? I think we have a couple minutes here right before uh, I got to go. Before we do that, I just have to ask this one quick question. Do it, do and it. I can do that. What advice do you have for the young artist who is growing up in Israel, divorce, everything, trauma, <laughs> and to figure that all out and to get to the place you are today and to have the kind of career that you're having? How do they get there? I think some of the big ones are find a mentor, find somebody who you want to be five, 10, 20 years from now. So I had a few of those people in my life who opened the door for me to think this was possible. Like even when I worked on Wall Street, I used to do these gigs on the side, like a bar mitzvah here, a restaurant there, but I never thought you could quit your job and be a magician. The thought didn't occur. Like a lot of people, when you see a movie, you never think I can be the movie star, right? You just don't believe it's possible. And if somebody shows you, hey, you could do this, and they just say it to you, those words alone had an impact. There's a magician that told me at one point, what are you still doing working there? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He might as well have said, why aren't you on the moon? I'm like, because I'm not an astronaut. It was such a silly question. And he goes, why aren't you doing it? And I go, well, I got to pay my bills. I got to do this. He's like, how much your bills? Like he literally just broke it down. He goes, so you got to do this many more gigs. What's the problem? And he just said it to me. And it was as if you rewired my brain and somebody just turned a switch on. And I go, oh my God, I can do that. I just didn't know I could do that. And so I think that so much of what you have to do, especially now, you don't need a TV executive to tell you what you can do. There's people that are 12 years old right now. Forget that. There's an eight-year-old who's made like $24 million in a year on YouTube. You can create your own destiny. Right now, you're one smartphone away from billions of people seeing you. Never in the history of the world has there been such a wealth and fame generation machine as social media. I'm a little old for it, but I could still do it, but it's not my passion. It's not as easy for me. But I think right now, embrace technology and believe in yourself and get somebody to mentor you. Go out there. Persistence is everything. I have a couple people that I have, you know, air quotes mentored that I've helped them. I consider the most peers of mine now who at the time, they just were very persistent. Like, let me take you to lunch. Let me, ah, I don't want, let me take you, come on, let's just meet in the cafe for, and you try five or six times, you're a little pain in my butt. I finally say, yes, you win me over. I learned that myself. Just be persistent. It will work. Don't be a menace. Give and take. If you're just taking from people, it's different. If you can also give back in some way, even if you don't have knowledge or money, if you can give warmth, if you can give attention or accolades, find what somebody likes and embrace it. That's done so much for me. Find a good mentor. Awesome. And you said you had something. You, you I want to do something for you right now. Forget a phone, forget anything. I want you to be impulsive right now. Think in your mind of all the people you've interviewed. And I need everyone to know, you're going to think of this in this moment spontaneous. Think of one person you've interviewed before. You've already interviewed this person that you really connected with and you just something about them. You Let me ask you a question. Did someone pop into your mind just this second right now? Yes. There's no way I could know who that is. Do you agree? You just thought of it right now. No. You haven't written this. You haven't said this. You haven't gotten your phone. You haven't done anything. You just had a thought form in your mind. Somebody I've interviewed already. In the past. Yeah. Here's the dilemma. Barry, I, I like to explain to people, let them behind the curtain. I know who you are. This isn't a random podcast. I reached out to you as a fan of the show. I've listened to hundreds of your podcasts. So if I try to guess this, you know what you're going to say? You're going to say, eh, you've listened to the podcast maybe on one episode. So scrap it. That's the past. I could know the past. The future is impossible. So how about this? Imagine that in the future, you could interview anyone who's ever lived, dead or alive, male or female. Now I'm seeing the nod. You've got someone in mind. You can see their picture, like as if you had their picture in front of you. You don't have to have it, but imagine their face. Can you see this person? Yes. The listener at home can't see, but there's no way we can know this. Just think in your mind, if it's a man or a woman, 
And I just look at you and I just see, I narrow it down. I know it's a guy. Am I right? You are correct, If it was a woman, you would have been more excited, Barry. Would have been more excited. Next, it could have been dead or alive, but I know you. And if the person's alive, you're a guy who doesn't take no for an answer. You could get this person. It's possible. Barry Katz, you're not going to do possible. You're going to do the impossible. You're thinking of somebody that's already died. Am I right? You are correct, sir. And here we go. I want you to think of this person and I want you to think of the whole interview and how incredible it is. And I want you to think at the end what you're going to say. And you're going to say, give me some advice. And you're going to look at that person, look at me. And you just thought of a phrase. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Is it Muhammad Ali that you thought of? You are amazing. <laughs> Holy shit, birds. That's fantastic. For the listener who can't see this, Barry is squeezing my hand so tightly. I think he's angry and impressed the whole night. I love it, Barry. That's how we end a podcast. You're so incredible. You're a star. You're Thanks. highly successful. And you're the kind of guy who can do anything. Thanks, Barry. Thank you. Such so a much, pleasure. Man. Thanks for having me. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you. 
to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever.